stay hungry, stay foolish. So now on the Innovation Show, it's a great honor to welcome Chief Amazement Officer of Shepherd Presentations, author of Amaze Every Customer Every Time, Shep Hyken. Welcome to the show, Shep. Hey, great to be here, Aiden. Thanks for having me. It's really good to have you, man. And, and I was we were talking off air about the amount of uh, presence you have. I mean, you're a TED speaker, you're an author, you have a fantastic weekly newsletter on hiking.com, which I highly recommend for everybody to check out. You're so on the pulse with what is so needed in today's world, which is amazing customers. And it's we've we were talking about today is the day that Amazon have announced their purchase of Whole Foods and their obsession about the customer. And so many people must be queuing up for your services, Shep. Yes, we get calls every day, but the more the better, no doubt about that. You know, I'm excited about what Amazon is doing with uh, Whole Foods. And um, I know we have a lot to talk about, but um, right off the top, I'll just tell you, I think that Amazon, as it is a business example, has become like the the standard in what great companies are. I am a huge, huge Amazon fan. Um, I know they're the big guy that may have disrupted uh, not just the book industry, but many other industries. And you can see what they're getting ready to do to the grocery store industry. I think we're I think there's some exciting times for consumers because Amazon is going to get everybody to up their game. Yeah. People look at somebody like Jeff Bezos and they look at the the progression of Amazon and it was a tech company originally, but he absolutely obsessed about the customer all the time and put the customer at the center of the of the product. And I find it really interesting that he bought Zappos mainly to actually buy the customer service. It was it wasn't it wasn't just about the great product. It was about the way they did things, and it's likewise with, with Whole Foods. Yeah, so Whole Foods, uh, you know, known for fresh, organic foods. Uh, the the joke is it's not just Whole Foods; it's Whole Paycheck. You pay a little bit more, and I think that's. And by the way, that alone is an interesting play because everybody has thought that Amazon really is a price sensitive, low price provider, and I think it. They always discount, uh, but I'll tell you how confident Amazon is. Amazon is willing to put the competitor's prices, it'll say there's three uh, places you can buy this product less expensive. And they tell you where to go. And yet, I'll bet you more than half the people, they may check them out, they come back to Amazon, if not most of the people. The other thing that's interesting is that 64% of the households in the United States have Amazon Prime memberships. Think about that. And now they've created a new I don't want to call it a payment system, but a new plan for lower income people who normally can't afford to just shell out $99 for Prime. Uh, they're saying, hey, we're going to give you guys a, a great deal. Uh, number one, you're underserved. We want to serve you. Um, it's not fair that you don't get some of the advantages at others. So we're going to make it so reasonable. You can pay a, a small monthly fee of, I don't know if it's 4 or $5 a month, but it's, it's definitely less than $99 a year. And it's done monthly, and it allows an underserved market uh, who, for lack of a better term, if you want to say in some cases people in need can't afford some of the nice things that we have, to have access to better service. Yeah. So that, I think that's pretty cool. That is awesome. And, and we, we might come back to Amazon because – 
they they do encapsulate so much of what you you talk about and you advise many companies about. But it'd be great, Shep, to get a feel of your background because because I was saying that you work so hard backstage to to give an amazing front stage presence. Well, thank you. So I'll give you a real quick background all the way from the age of 12 years old where I started my first business. I, it was a magic show birthday party business. And I'll give you the very quick story. Uh, came home from my first magic show. My mom said, you're going to go upstairs and write a thank you note. I mean, there was more to the conversation than that, but that was the end. And my dad said, great idea. And in a week, I want you to call the parents that hired you to perform at that little boy's birthday party. And I want you to thank them again on the phone. And then I want you to make sure that they were happy with the job that you did and find out what they liked about your show. Get some feedback. And by the way, I don't know if he used the word feedback, but he said, find out, you know, what they liked. And I go, great idea. And then he said, and by the way, if they really liked you and they give you good compliments, they had a little, uh, the little boy that I performed for had a sister ask if that sister needed a magic show for her birthday. And any of the parents that were standing in the back of the room, would they be willing to give me their names and phone numbers so I can call them? And, you know, within a year, I'm I'm like full time magician <laughs> doing eight to 10 magic shows a week on top of going to school. Uh, in addition to that, every summer I had a summer job. And for several of those summers, I worked uh, pumping gas at a gas station. And eventually I went to work for that company full time while I was in college, still doing my magic shows. And by the way, by that time, I was working in nightclubs and, um, you know, doing my comedy magic act and. Uh, but during the day, during, on the weekends during the day, I would work in the oil companies, either their headquarters during the week and out in the field uh, at a gas station on the weekends. And we had about 100 and some odd gas stations. So it wasn't like a tiny company, uh, but obviously it's not a big company like a major oil company either. But the point is, I'll never forget, we're a self-serve station and it's, a, gosh, probably the coldest day of the year here in St. Louis. And an elderly woman pulls up. She had to be about 80 years old, I'm guessing. And I said, I, I ran out of the building and I said, uh, and my manager was still in the building. So it wasn't like I left things unattended. No, the manager was in the building. I went out and I said, ma'am, let me pump the gas for you. You stay in the car. So that to me is an attitude of service. And my mom and dad taught me, say thank you, follow up, make sure you're doing a good job. Uh, there are a lot of other lessons that I was learning. But the point is, by the time I got out of college, and I'm in the real world, I understood what customer service was all about. So it was back, way back in 1983. Uh, I did not have a job. The oil company had decided to sell their, their stations to different groups of investors. And what was I going to do? I saw a couple of motivational speakers. And I said, with my entertainment background and my little business background, I went to college. I knew I took speaking classes. I knew, I knew how to write a speech. So I thought, I got into the speaking business. Uh, I said, I could do what those guys are doing. And that's really how my business started. So for the first, I'm going to say, uh, well, more than 10 years, probably about 15, 18 years, I was primarily a speaker. You would hire me to go to your meeting. And the topic that I focused on was customer service. So all my research, all my work was in that area. And one day I decided to create a training product around my speech. So I started hiring trainers to deliver my content in a full day format or a multiple day format, which was really great. We, a lot of people, they go to hiking.com and they learn about who Shep is. But if you go to the customer focus, T-H-E, the customer focus.com, you'll learn more about our training site. 
And to me, that's that's kind of a long term play. I don't necessarily have to be the star of the show uh, to be successful in that business. But these guys who do the training, they're even better than I am. And uh, I loved it. There was an article that came out just today, as a matter of fact. Uh, one of my trainers was up in in Chicago, or not in Chicago, Toronto. He actually was doing a keynote speech. They're all they're great speakers as well, but most of what they do is training and consulting. He gave a speech to about 400 people in the travel industry, and they actually did a summary and they wrote the article. And I'm going, you know what? He gets it. I'm so glad I have these people working for me because they're just wonderful. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that's kind of the background. That's where we are today. So uh, I, I'm hired to go out around the world and speak at events and conferences. Uh, I write a lot of books and articles, and uh, I have a wonderful team that goes out and delivers my training. And we have an online virtual university as well. Shepherd Virtual Training. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it Just as an aside, I have a fun little website or a URL called sheptv.com, sheptv.com. And that takes you straight to my YouTube channel where I have over 500 videos that are all short little customer service lessons. And yeah, I'm giving it away, but you know what? The more you give, the more you get. It's called the law of reciprocity. That's what happens to good people doing good things. And I hope I'm a good person doing everybody a service. I put a lot of content out there. And anybody that wants to learn how to be better at what they do when it comes to customer service and experience, uh, hopefully I've given them a lot of tools to be able to do that. Yeah, you, you know what I see, Chef, when, when I looked at the amount of content you do, you, you do, I mean, some people would go, well, he's giving it away. Like, why, what's he doing that? Like, he's, he's a consultant for all these amazing companies, US, uh, you know, you're in the media, you're on Forbes, you're on CBS, NBC, everywhere. And people w will question that. But for me, you, in, you embody the idea of authenticity and digital marketing, where the whole idea of digital marketing is you give it away and then people... You, you extend your reach as well and your virtual training because the biggest challenge I'm sure you have is scaling yourself. Right, right. And that's that's the reason for the trainers and uh, the on, online training, the virtual training, because now, uh, you know, it's available. Uh, you know, it's the question is this, Aiden, how would you like me, anytime you need me to be sitting across the desk from you, giving you support in your role uh, when it comes to, you know, either talking to a customer, uh, selling to a customer, even talking to a colleague at work. And, um, you know, well, gosh, how, how would you do What would that be worth? You know, well, the truth is it, it's maybe worth a lot. I hope it is anyway. <laughs> but the truth is it's very economical because now I literally can do that. I have these courses on general customer service, uh, you know, taking it a step further. I have a whole program on complaints. And uh, I've got a leadership course. How do you create that customer-focused culture? And so these are all available at a very, very reasonable price so that people can can take this. I wrote a book. My, my second to last book was called The Amazement Revolution. And really, that's what I want to create. When it comes to customer service and customer experience, I want everybody to be amazed at the businesses that they do business with. And people ask me, Shep, what do you do for a living? And I don't tell them, um, well, I will eventually tell them I'm a customer service and experience expert, but the first thing I do is respond with a question. Have you ever walked away from a business and thought to yourself, wow, those people, they're just amazing at what they do. They're amazing how helpful they are, how friendly they are, how good they are. Well, that's what I help my clients do. And then the next question is, well, how do you do that? Then I begin to tell them. <laughs> first, I want them to understand the outcome is what it's all about. And when I look at the insights you gave us about your parents and what they were telling you, 
I find it amazing, right, that the mentorship from your parents and that outside the norm teachings and lessons that you receive at such a young age are so important. That was embodied in you and that was blooded into you from such a young age. It became your skill. I guess, you know, everybody has a superpower or two or three. And I think my parents instilled some good values. I think most parents instill good values on people. You know, Nordstrom is a great example of this. Everybody's familiar with Nordstrom pretty much all over the world. Uh, When I go, people know who Nordstrom is. The most amazing legendary service and the legend is, it's a long story, old story, has to do with a guy returning tires that he bought, that he thought he'd bought at a Nordstrom store. And the customer service person or the sales person, whatever you want to call them, actually taking them back, even though everybody knows Nordstrom never sold tires. And there's a whole story behind that. Here's the point. Uh, When you get to Nordstrom and you want to go to work there, there's a question they ask in the interview process. And the question is simple. What is your definition of customer service or some derivative of that question? There are a hundred, maybe there's a thousand right answers. There's also almost an equal number of wrong answers. So there's no one right answer. It's all about the attitude and the philosophy the individual has toward taking care of other people. So that's an important concept is that they hire and good companies hire service-minded people. The second piece of this is, is you know, I guess, you know, when you think about, it, is, is it common sense? It really is common sense. Uh, you just have to do what's right. And sometimes there's guidelines. I hate when there's rules, but if there's guidelines and people stay within the guidelines, then they're going to do what's right. So empower people to make good decisions. And if they don't make a good decision, teach them how to get back on track. And if they are smart people, they're not going to make that bad decision again. And you're going to be happy that you work with this person, mentored them, coached them. And by the way, my parents mentored me. The companies that I worked for, uh, usually had a good boss. By the way, the boss at the gas station, when I went out and pumped that lady's gas, I came back in and my manager said to me, what did I just see you do? I thought I was going to get a compliment, but instead he berated me. He said, we are a self-service gasoline station. We don't go out there and give full service. That lady's going to expect that the next time. And my response to him was, well, I hope she does. And she comes here and not to the station that's across the street and diagonal to us. Brilliant. Yeah. And what's yeah. The, why, how did he react to that? I hope well, I mean, it was just, it was, uh, I mean, I, I was supposed to do what my manager asked me, but I just told him that's why I did it. I mean, I didn't become confrontational, but I told him that was my reasoning behind it. I don't know if he agreed with me or didn't agree with me, but I know this, I didn't agree with him. Yeah. Do you know what, Shep, like you, you said about all the content on YouTube, etc., and I find it really interesting that, it's proven that if you do that little bit extra, no matter what it is, it's like you going out and pumping that gas or with the magician trick, you know, going and making sure everybody's happy, etc. If you go that little extra yard, little mile, centimeter even, you will be ahead of everyone else. Yes, so few people do it. You make a sacrifice somewhere. So, you know, you get up earlier, you, you either tunnel under or you go and you build an extension or you go up on the top and build an extra floor in your life to actually fit somewhere. So you either don't sleep, you either get up earlier or else you sacrifice something. You just said something that's really important. And I think everybody needs to hear this so it doesn't just fly by. Uh, you know, you mentioned how hard I might work, but at the same time you said, 
Uh, sometimes it's just something a little, a little thing, a small thing. I'm getting ready to write an, an article about uh, thinking small. And, and really, the best companies in the world, it's, it's great if you can, uh, you know, make some radical change. And I think that everybody, when they start a company, sometimes the startup is to think big. But once you're established, the key is to get small. And by that, uh, it's just small, constant thinking of better ways to do something. Not blow it away, but even if it's just 1% better. Um, I, I just came back from Australia where I worked with Volkswagen uh, the VW Australia, uh, group. And that was the whole theme of the meeting. Think small. And I, oh, that's cute and clever. You know, I'm think I always think of the Volkswagen as the little beetle, the car think small. No, but what he was saying is don't think small, like the car, think small in terms of the improvements that you make. Just make a lot of small improvements. Look at every little touch point, every little opportunity. How can I make that even a little bit better? Sometimes it might just be an attitude adjustment. I'm just going to be a little bit friendlier or I'm going to put a little bit more energy into it, be a little bit more enthusiastic. But sometimes you may come up with something that really truly is an opportunity to improve on something that's even just slightly so small. You do that all the time and you're going to blow away everybody. Yeah. And I always, I always think of that, that mindset as an athlete, right? So, so they'll always try and shave off a microsecond or, you know, what can I do differently? It's the same thing in just a different field. Yeah. And if you think about it, uh, I talk about this concept of consistency. And the thing I talk about from the standpoint of consistency isn't that everything's always the same. It's the attitude the employee comes to work with. And I use actors on stage as an example. Whenever they go out on stage to do their show, they're always going to try to do their best performance. Athletes go onto the field. You know, I, I just uh, here in the U.S., uh, we just finished the Stanley Cup finals. It was Pittsburgh against Nashville and uh, Nashville lost. Uh, do you think they went out there and they played a mediocre game? Do you think they went out there and did anything less than their best? I don't think so. They went out there to play the best game they've ever played in their life. And every single game that they played, that was what they were trying to do. They weren't trying to say, well, it's a seven game series. Hopefully it could be a four game series if we get beat for nothing, but it's you know, a seven game series. Somebody's going to win. I think uh, you know it's early in the series. Why don't we just lay back a little bit? Nobody ever thought about that. No, they went out there at each and every game, each and every shift, each and every moment they were on that ice. They were looking to be the best team they could ever be, individually the best player they could ever be. And if employees come to work with the same attitude, I want to be so good today that I'm even better than yesterday. I think that's a pretty strong attitude to have. Yeah, and it's a hard one to foster, isn't it? And it kind of reminds me, we mentioned Netflix. And, you know, Netflix as well, I know it's a technology company and they don't have a physical touch point with people, but they absolutely obsess over the user experience. And, and it's quite similar to a customer experience. Yeah, so what I think Netflix and any online company tries to do is to emulate the in-person experience but just make it more convenient. And that's what Amazon's done. Uh, Netflix, when you come on, there's a section that says recommended just for you. And that's based on what you've looked at in the past. I don't know if you've ever, uh, if you remember Blockbuster video, but basically Netflix put Blockbuster that had stores almost on every street corner. There were many, many uh, Blockbusters. And unfortunately, Netflix put them out of business. And the reason is, is they basically were able to duplicate 
the in-store experience online. And they'd say, you know, aside from maybe a better business model, I think it was, it was a, a more cost-effective business model for the customer. They didn't, you know, they can get all the video, you know, back in the day before you can download and stream, it was, hey, we're going to send you two or three DVDs and just send back and we'll send you more. Just create this list. We'll just keep sending you. And it wasn't, didn't cost any extra to do that. It was just, that was your monthly fee. So I like their business model. But um, today, go on Netflix, go on Amazon. You know, they'll start making recommendations based on your ba- your past buying patterns. Yeah. And so, so they obsess about the customer, whether that's a virtual or in-person customer. Well, Shep, what, what type of advice? So I, I've seen many golden rules you've given across in many of your talks. Maybe a few for our audience. What would you recommend? Well, the golden rule, according to the Bible, is to do unto others as you would want done unto yourself. And that's not a bad philosophy when it comes to dealing with customers and any relationship. By the way, when I talk about customers, it could be somebody you work with, your internal customer. It could be the person that you typically think of as a customer. You might be in a business where you have clients, and that's what you call them, members, guests. Uh, in the medical industry, your customer is a patient. So we're using the word customer to catch everybody here. Um, so if there is a, a better version of the golden rule it's my friend Tony Alessandra's platinum rule, which is rather than treat people the way, you know, you yourself would want to be treated, treat people the way they would like to be treated, because sometimes that's different. And I'll give you an example. There is a uh, bellman who works at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel near where I live, and he went on vacation. And I said, so uh, do you get to take advantage of the Ritz-Carlton Hotel? He said, but I just like to get away from it. So there is an example of, hey, I don't want to be treated the same way I treat my customers. I like to be treated differently. So uh, I think that's that's a good thing, the platinum rule. I have a belief that customer service is not a department. It's a philosophy. Most people think service is for the frontline people. But the reality is everybody's involved in service. It belongs to the CEO, to the customer service department to the janitor, maintenance guy, the mail person, the accountant in a company, everybody's involved. If they're not supporting somebody who you would call a customer, they're probably supporting or having some impact on somebody that is dealing with the customer. Not long ago, I worked with an organization where everybody in the audience owned maintenance or janitorial companies. Uh, So if you go into an office building in the evening, you see janitors cleaning offices. And this was uh, a great guy. He had a philosophy. He said, you know, I try to instill upon the janitors that work for me just how important their job is. These guys and women need to go out and they need to make sure that when the, the customer, in other words, the employees of the company come in in the morning, they've got a comfortable, good, clean place to work. It plays with their morale and their psyche. So the whole goal is make people know how important their job is. The guy in the warehouse who never, ever impacts a customer face-to-face, if he or she doesn't pull the right item off the shelf or you know, proper, it doesn't properly pack up the item and it breaks during shipment, when the customer gets the box and opens it up, they're going to be disappointed. And you know whose fault that was? That was the person in the warehouse who never directly interacts with a customer. Everybody has some impact on a customer. They just need to be told where and how so that they understand how important their job is. I remember the great story of FedEx where 
they changed the one thing they were suffering they were struggling and the one place they changed was the end point with the customer which was the driver and they trained those guys they groomed them they got them dressed up you talk about this being absolutely important well, I believe you dress appropriately for whatever situation you're in. You just mentioned the cab driver. And is this the segue into me telling you this story? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I love this story. Cause, and do you know what, Shep? I, I saw a great quote. And um, I was writing an article myself on retail. And I suppose the the rebirth of retail with Amazon, etc. And it's a Benjamin Franklin quote. The taste of the roast is often determined by the handshake of the host. And it reminds Oh, I love that. I'm writing that down. The yeah, taste the ta- of the roast. The taste of the roast is often determined by the handshake of the host. It reminded me of your, your cab driver story, which I'd love if you told our audience. Sure. Well, whether Ben Franklin said it or not, that's one of the best quotes I've heard in a long time because it's so true. Um, and I'll, I'll get to the uh, cab driver story in a quick sec. I'll give the abbreviated version of it because... Uh, you know, where typically I tell it on stage in front of a big group of people. Uh, But what you just said is so important. And I'll give you an example why. Food can be good and make everybody happy. And then there's a mistake. And it's the attitude of that server taking care of you at the restaurant that makes it like that. So, oh, don't worry about it. Not a big deal. And but if the attitude of the server was negative and wasn't really attentive, now we got a mistake. Now I'm mad. And basically, it's it's so so many problems can be eliminated when people are just trying to do the right thing, yeah. even if they're not succeeding. The customer accepts that they are doing everything they can to help out. So, all right. So here's what happened with the cab driver story. And I know we talked a little bit about dressing appropriately. I met this cab driver on the hottest day of the summer in Dallas, Texas. It had to be the hottest day of the summer. The guy was wearing a T-shirt and shorts, and it was the end of the day. He it obviously, wrinkled, he was a wrinkled mess. He'd been sweating. He'd been working hard. His hair was messed up. Looked like he hadn't shaven in, who knows, maybe a week. And for all I know, when I looked at this guy, he hadn't showered in a week. I mean, he kind of looked that, that way. Uh, but when he, he told me he was going to take my bags, put them in the back, and it was nice and cool in the cab, I thought, how, you know, look at this guy. The air conditioners probably don't even work. But no, he was he was correct. It was nice and cool. Not only that, it was spotlessly clean. And he jumped in the front seat after putting my bags away and offered me a piece of candy. He had a dish of candy on the front seat. And he offered me a soda. Uh, he offered me, uh, he, he had two newspapers sitting on the seat next to me when I sat down. He said, those are for me to take. He had the local Dallas paper in a USA Today. And he said, none of this costs extra. It's a flat rate to the airport, just like any honest cab driver would charge you. It's $22. And I thought to myself, wow, this guy's good. Now, my first impression was he kind of looked like a bum. And now it's like, I don't even notice that anymore. Now, I will tell you, people say, why did he look that way? It was the end of the day. And oh, actually, I'll tell you, let me let me finish the story about what happened. And then I'm going to tell you what, what happened um, like a couple of months later when he picked me up again. Is then I got to see what Frank looked like (laughs) before the day began. (laughs) He looked pretty tired. So he gave me this ride to the airport. And on the way, uh, he he started talking to me, asking me where I'm from. What do I do? I talk about building rapport is important. And obviously, if I'm a a customer that doesn't want to talk, and, and we got to have conversations into the future because I would always, he would pick me up and take me around. Every time I'd come back to Dallas, I'd always call him. 
And he would tell me things like, yeah, people don't want to talk. I'm not going to talk to him. He says, you seem like a friendly guy. I asked you where you're from. You told me, you know, what were you doing here in Dallas? You know, what do you do for a living? All those kinds of questions. He even offered to show me one of the famous sites in Dallas is the is a fountain. Uh, it's called uh, the Mustangs at Las Colinas. It's life-size statues of horses running across water. It's in a big office area. And it's right on the way to the airport. And he told me about it. He said, it's only going to take a minute. And we even stopped off and we saw that. And he's not going to charge me any extra money. Well, you know, when we got to the airport, what a great guy. I mean, so does newspapers. I got to see the fountain. Big tip, huge tip. And I couldn't wait to come back and do business with this guy again. Now, that first impression was a little off-putting. I wasn't sure what I was going to get. But the cool thing is, once the good things start to happen, and not just one, but a number of good things happen, I stopped to think. I didn't even think about what the guy was looking at. And that, that in itself is a lesson. Uh, if something bad happens, a negative experience, you know, depending on what type of business you're in, the, they say an average of eight to 12 good things has to make up to eliminate something bad that happens, even if it's just a small little, you know, impressionistic type of thing. Well, the way Frank looked was negative. Now, it turns out, again, hottest day of the year, end of the day, he's tired, he's sweaty, he's, the clothes are wrinkled, and the hair, there's nothing you can do about the hair. But it was funny, one morning he picked me up at like six something in the morning on an early flight. He took me where I needed to be, and I'd never seen Frank clean shaven. He had just come from home. He looked spotlessly clean and shaven and right clothes and everything he had on. Then he picked me up at four o'clock in the afternoon. He was wrinkled. He was tired. And it looked like he hadn't shaven in three or four days. So I guess the guy gets a five o'clock shadow sometime around <laughs> seven o'clock in the morning. So by the end of the day, he probably looks like he hasn't shaved in a few days. So what was cool about this story is is that Frank, you know, he's an entrepreneur, as most cab drivers don't think of themselves as this, but they are truly entrepreneurs. They get to rent or lease their cab for the day or the week, and they get to make as much money as they can possibly make driving that cab. So Frank figured out if he waited at the airport, he could wait two or three hours to pick up somebody that would hopefully go downtown. Or he could be so good that he could give his business card away and people would start calling him and he might have to wait 15, 20 minutes at the airport uh, after he parked his car and went inside and waited for the customer versus waiting two and three hours in the parking lot. And you can do the math. For every trip that these other people were doing, he was taking three or four trips um, you know, for his customers. He was making almost $100,000 a year, actually a little over $100,000 a year as a taxi cab driver when other drivers were making maybe around 20. And this is back when he first started. Today, people would make a little bit more. But he cracked the code. He figured out that great customer service is going to bring people back. And I love telling the story. And the best part of the story happened after the first trip when I received a thank you note several days after Frank dropped me off uh, <laughs> at the airport. I get a thank you note. You know, we exchanged business cards. He sent me a thank. He must have met my mom. <laughs> <laughs> That's a CRM, man. He's got a customer relationship yeah. management yeah, software. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Brilliant. Brilliant. But it's a great story. And I think that if you can take the mundane, ordinary, normal, easy to understand job of a cab driver and you can make something special of that, I mean, elevate to a point where, I mean, he was making a lot of money back then. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't, by the way, he's retired today, but, uh, that's pretty impressive. What can any company do to bump up their service, to build a relationship where customers 
can't wait to come back and do business with them again. That's what it's all about. Yeah, and it, it, there's a couple of other lessons there. Like I, I find, you know, you talked about Frank, but we also talk about the guy in the back, the backstage in the back of a company who's packing shelves. And if if you reframe their role, like a taxi driver, you're an entrepreneur. You're not a taxi driver. You're a customer service representative. You're not a guy stacking shelves. They feel part of a bigger mission. They feel part of this company. You're not just a cog in a wheel. You are the whole machine. You are part of that. People actually come up a bit then. They feel more validated. Everybody has two jobs. No matter what job they're hired to do, they need to always think of, what are my two jobs? Number one is the actual job I'm hired to do. And number two is I take care of my customer. And that customer might be internal or it might be external. But I know my job is to take care of the customer. Brilliant. Well, Shep, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I highly recommend people check out hiking.com. Check out your YouTube channel, the virtual training programs. Read your books, Amaze Every Customer Every Time, and The Cult of the Customer etc etc it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you shepherd a hiking well thank you (laughs) shepherd it was great talking to you you too thank you